All right, guys, on the heels of an electric UFC Vegas 11 card, we welcome back a man who hasn't graced the show in quite some time. Across between Ryan Philippi and Randy Orton, mixed with a mathematician, this man is known for his elite statistics and facts, along with doing an amazing job for MMA Junkie. He joins us back on the program, Yanni Andrejcik's prom partner, Mike Bond. Welcome back to Submission Radio. It's great to have you, man. Wow, what an intro. I think this is the first time I've been on this version of the show, right? I think the last time we did something was like a post-fight show at one of the Vegas events. Well, the, yeah. o- the other one was technically a casting couch, Mike. So y- you're right there. Stats will show that this is the first official you, you, yes. you were on the early prelims, then you moved to the prelims. Actually, you were on the prelims, then you moved to the early prelims, and now look, you're on the main card. How does it feel? It's a slow burn. (laughs) (laughs) Man, we we, got to ask you, coming off the heels of this Woodley Covington fight, after all the drama, after all the shit talk, the trash talk, how would you sort of describe the culmination of, you know, this feud and not only of the fight and the performance? Kind of Colby talking years ago about leaving Woodley in a pool of his own blood. And then quite literally, that's exactly what happened tonight. What did you make of it? Yeah, wow. When you think about it in those terms, yeah, he did kind of promise that. Uh, Obviously, I think it was kind of the fight that I was worried that would happen. Not so that, like, Colby won, but just the lack of competitiveness. It was obviously all on Tyron Woodley, I feel like. We know what Colby Covington's going to do at this point. He goes out and kind of fights a similar strategy for every fight, you know, kind of minus the Usman fight without any wrestling there. But I figured he was going to put the pace on Woodley. He was going to do pressure, you know, higher output. And it was just about how Tyron was going to respond. He said all this stuff coming in about how he was going to let his hands go. And, you know, him and Dean Thomas were talking about going to a dark place and all that and, like, figuring out, you know, pulling out that youthful energy, I guess, he was looking for. And we didn't really see any of that. I mean, there was a few glimpses of it in, like, the first round. But as the fight wore on, uh, Tyron just faded. He had nothing to offer. And that was kind of sad to see. I mean, you kind of just saw, you know, one of the all-time great welterweights, maybe his last fight ever. I know Dana saying post-fight, uh, you know, that he wants to see Woodley retire. So I think that may have been the last performance we saw from Woodley. And I think it was kind of in tone from what we've seen with him recently in the Usman fight and then the Burns fight. So it was just kind of a the ushering out of a legend in that way and i wish we saw more but i think it's kind of a perfect depiction of where woodley is in his career and i think it was a great fight for covington to rebound from after losing to the the title fight to usman mm, i'll tell you what they went to the wrong dark place at the end of that fight i think they were pitching something else let me ask you this though uh tyron woodley obviously has uh, had periods in his career where he hasn't shown up we've seen it happen before earlier on and now we kind of saw it tonight and in his last few performances a lot of people are wondering if uh, this is an age thing if this is a fact that maybe he just doesn't have what he once had or if it's just another case of him not really showing up what are you putting it down to do you believe that woodley's lost um that elite level of competition that he once had when he was champion yeah, I think it's a combination of everything. Like over time, you know, he gets figured out in some ways. Like at one point, the things that he was doing in this fight was working for him. The backing against the fence and like, you know, keeping that distance and some of the things that he was able to be really successful from earlier in his career just aren't working anymore because he's probably been so well scouted by these guys. And of course, with age comes that, you know, the reflexes go away, little things like that. And I think we saw all of that. I mean, look at what happened at the very end of the fight. Tyron Woodley's body more or less betrayed him. We don't know exactly what happened with that rib injury, but like all of the things are kind of starting 
starting to turn towards him or turn against him, whether it was the psychological side coming into this fight of not being able to pull the trigger in the last two fights as well. And then quite literally in the octagon, you know, he injures himself or Colby injured him, whatever happened in that final sequence, I guess we'll find out the extent of the injury, but we just see everything. What once made Tyron Woodley great, we see it breaking down right before our very eyes. So, um, you know, if he wants to rebound from this, if he wants to continue fighting, it's going to be really tough because I thought this was an amazing opportunity for him. He didn't look great against mm. He didn't look great against Burns. He could have washed it all away with this performance, got right back on top, beat a guy who's ranked higher than him. They have this big rivalry. So this was a really good opportunity for him to put all that behind him. It didn't happen. And now, you know, big questions about the future for him. Yeah, well, it's really hard to pinpoint what exactly went wrong for Woodley in his career because, as you mentioned, he was a great champion. He was on a fantastic run, and then I believe after the Damian Maia fight, he had a torn labrum and then came back against Usman. Oh, sorry, he had the Darren Till fight, and then he came back against Usman and just hasn't looked the same. And I, I wonder if that labrum injury is, is anything to do with it because, obviously, it's something in his shoulder. It's something that a lot of baseball pitchers have from, you know, throwing hard, uh, you know, overhands, and I wonder if that explosiveness of Tyron Woodley has just kind of suffered because he's he's got that fear of you know what if I injure my shoulder again and if you take away you know that knockout power the overhand rights that Tyron Woodley was famous for um, it really takes a lot away from his in, entire game but I tuned into Luke Thomas's sort of live stream afterwards and he made by the way you should check that out if you if you haven't but uh, he made a lot of good points about if Tyron Woodley was to return who do you even put him up against like guys like say a, a Neil Magny or the lower ends of the competition than what we're accustomed to seeing him against uh, it just doesn't really make sense for a guy who's established such a good legacy like I don't see him being one of those guys that like say like a Carlos Condit no disrespect but he's fighting on you know undercards and prelims and he's a guy who took GSP to the limit do, do you see a way for Tyron to even return at this point and if so who would even make sense and is is retirement maybe the more attractive option than you know working yourself down too far down the card yeah, I think it probably is at this point when you kind of just look at the grand scheme. Like, that's what I was just saying. This was such a great opportunity for him to kind of take it all back. But I wonder if they had offered him, you know, someone like you just said, like a Neil Magny, like instead of this fight coming off the last two losses, if he would be even motivated to get in there and do that. And then at this point, I don't see how he possibly gets a fight with the same type of upside. He's going to be the one who has, of course, you know, winning in itself and moving back up with a win against anyone is helpful but it's going to be you know some fight where some guy's going to be making his name off him and i don't think that's what tyron woodley wants at this point in his career i mean i don't know what his money situation is i don't know like all those kind of things we heard some stories about when he was champion about spending a lot of money etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. so i don't know if he'll have to keep going for that purpose alone but yeah i mean it really comes down to him like i assume he still has more fights left on his ufc contract so at some point they're gonna have to offer him another fight and you know to keep in order of that thing going so uh, it's really gonna come down to whether he wants to keep going if he actually retires and takes himself out of the usada pool all that stuff then we know it's official but uh, i think you know he's fine either way like he i think we definitely regardless of what he keeps doing i've seen the peak of tyron woodley i think that's pretty clear at this point uh, if he just wants to go in there for a payday or he doesn't want to lose on, you know, leave his career on three straight losses, maybe he can do that. But he has options outside of it. I mean, he has uh, all the commentary work he does and the analyst work. He's really great at that. Smart, well-spoken guy. Uh, you know, whatever people may think of his entertainment career, he's got obviously <laughs> some branches, you know, reached into that industry, whether it's uh, his TMZ show or the actual rapping or whatever. So I don't think like it's a terrible situation for Tyron Woodley it's just I don't think he can hang with the very best welterweights anymore and that's you know kind of unfortunate for him 
Mm. And as a narrative, if this is the last time we see Tyra Woodley fight, imagine him going out on a loss to, you know, his biggest rival of all time. How crazy that would be. Yeah, yeah. Unbelie- unbelievable. Well, while we're looking about what's next, Mike, let's look at uh, Colby Covington here. I mean, he is in a weird situation. So, obviously, uh, people think that Jorge Masvidal will be remake- rematching Nate Diaz. That hasn't been officially announced. And now we see Dana White sort of opening the door at the post-hype press conference saying, hey, you know, if Masvidal wants that fight, that could possibly be next. We know that Usman is going to be versing Gilbert Burns, so the title shot is off the table. Then you have a man in Leon Edwards as well sort of looking for a fight too. Um, what do you think is next for Colby Covington? Yeah, poor Leon Edwards. Like, it would be great to see him get a fight, you know, of a certain magnitude. But I think... But don't you think this is the time? This is the time right now where, you you know, you'd think Leon Edwards would be all over social media, all over Instagram, all over Twitter, just everywhere, just going, hey, get feed me Colby Covington. I want this guy. I, you know what? I, but nothing. We haven't heard nothing from him. It's crazy. Even Conor yeah. McGregor tweets on fight cards that aren't even relevant to him. And he's the biggest <laughs> star in the sport. Nothing yeah, from Leon. So true. Well, maybe maybe Leon fell asleep during the main event or something. We don't know that. <laughs> it is late in London. <laughs> that would be a great. That would be a great tweet, by the way. Hey, sorry, I was asleep. You know, I missed that. My opportunity to tweet. Thanks, Mike Bond. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. But, I mean, if you're talking about Colby, I think it has to be Maswell, right? Like that's so clear. If he, I think, if he really wants to, they could. You know, it seems like Dana has kind of turned the page, and he seems to like Colby quite a bit at the moment. Obviously, that stems from like the Trump connection, but. Uh, you know, maybe he could wait out and just wait for the Usman and Burns winner. But I think if you can make the fight, you have to do him and Masvidal. I mean, that's a, maybe not the best fight for Masvidal coming off a loss to Usman. I think he would be much more interested in the Nate Diaz fight just because he wants to get back on the winning track. You know, that would be a main event for the BMF belt. You'd probably get his pay-per-view points and stuff. So that's probably like a more winnable and a more lucrative fight for him. So if they can mm-hmm. get that done, I'm sure he would rather fight uh, Diaz over Covington. But I, I definitely want to see these two fight. I mean... I think there's even more venom between those two than we saw between Covington and Woodley. Obviously, different dynamics as well. So uh, I would like to see that fight if they can do it, but I wouldn't rule out Covington just waiting around and maybe even fighting the Usman Burns winner right away. That was a very, very, um, I don't want to say it was cringy, but it was more of the same type of stuff between Usman and Colby Covington on the ESPN yeah, Plus post show. And it kind of reminds me. I don't remo- want to see that right now. Like, I well, was watching, I was like, I don't know if I can do like three months of this. Well, <laughs> well, what I'm trying, exactly. And when you watch it, you think, all right, so the, we might have to go through this again if these guys fight each other. <laughs> and I'm just curious, in your, in your mind, do you think it's a bigger fight if Gilbert Burns can win the title here? It's a fresh fight. And, Burns seems to be able to have a bit of trash talk back and Colby Covington to have something fresh with a guy like him rather than more of the same stuff with uh, Kamaru Usman. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think it's the bigger fight. I mean, I guess it depends how Gilbert Burns would win the title, hypothetically. Like, if he has some crazy performance that, like, shoots a star and, you know, it's on a pay-per-view main event, maybe that changes things. But there's just so many natural storylines there with... Uh, Covington and Usman as cringe as it may be but I think that's the fight the UFC would probably want to push um, might get ugly you know in the lead up to that it was kind of ugly tonight but you know more so cringe but yeah I think that's probably a, a much bigger fight with Covington and Usman I don't really know if Gilbert Burns is quite there yet but it could totally depend you know if he gets a big win cuts a nice promo you have some good fodder to promote that fight but right now as it stands I think Covington Usman easily the bigger fight. By the way, guys, how strange was it? Um, and I don't know, because, you know, putting everything political aside and all that all, all that kind of stuff, I know it, it's really volatile at the moment. But how crazy was it just from the perspective of seeing a president call somebody live 
on a post show yeah. on speaker. It's nuts. And just I've seeing it, I mean, I mean, and I mean, let's put it aside the fact that it's Donald Trump, and I know a lot of people, you know, aren't, aren't big fans of him, but us yeah. being able to witness something like that and you yeah. know, just imagining it, I just, I, I don't know. I found that moment rather, I don't know. What, what did you think when you saw that, Mike? It was pretty, I mean, he was on speaker. I mean, me going to leave, he's like, put it on speaker. Like, what is going on in 2020? <laughs> Thank God right? say something terrible. Right, that's right. Yeah. He was, he was really like, not what you know what a lot of people would have thought he would have said <laughs> so it was, it was crazy right i think yeah. he called him kobe at one point yeah. Col colby was like a kid on christmas yeah no that was a, a wild moment i mean i guess to, to say like the extent of it and i know uh you know we have our television partner tsn up here for the ufc where we watch all the fights they like have their you know sports center show leading off after the fights after the post fight show air and the highlight of that was the first thing they had on the programming this is over you wow. know nba playoffs nhl all that kind of stuff so that was a pretty big moment in that context and i think we'll probably see that appear on other places so if you're the ufc if you're colby covington i think it validates you in a certain way again uh regardless of how people feel about trump to kind of just have that connection for better or worse is uh, you know, propels UFC to a certain level and to have that moment right there. I mean, it was probably really special for Colby Covington and just kind of crazy to see that unfold. I mean, I never thought we'd see anything like that before. I know Trump has such a deep tie in, but for the timing of that, while well, he's doing the interview, all that yeah. kind of stuff, it's just <laughs> wild to watch unfold. Yeah, so cool. So cool. And I guess kind of being a part of it, watching it live, but just kind of going back to like matchmaking and what's next. It's it's fascinating how the Masvidal-Colby fight is bigger than a title fight for Colby. But then I guess you also think about it, like if you're Colby Covington, you're not at the stage where you're getting pay-per-view points, right? So the ideal play would be become champion, then do a Masvidal fight where you can capitalize off the rivalry, make a shitload of money. And I, I guess Masvidal might be getting... I don't know if he's getting pay-per-view points, but he gets a, a better guarantee so they can both make a ton of money. And if it is the case that this whole time they've been in on it and they're still friends and they're just two guys that are trying to make the most um, amount of money, it would sort of work out the best way for both of them. But I'm wondering, Mike, you know, if, if it is Usman at some point, did you see anything about this fight that leads you to believe that Colby would have better success against Usman? We know he's at Masters MMA now. And I know that on paper, even though it was a bit of a weird finish, he, he finished Woodley as opposed to, say, Usman and Gilbert Burns. And obviously, we know you're the stats king. Was, was there any surprising stats that you found out about this fight? Except I think one was uh, in the fourth round, Colby threw more volume than Tyrone did uh, the, the entire fight. And anything that kind of surprised you about this one, Mike? No, I think that that was actually the stat I was going to reference. I think that's the thing that really stood out. I mean, I think Colby was able to mix it up pretty well in this fight. And obviously, you know, Woodley just didn't have that output. He was promising and that allowed Colby to really open up. And I don't know. I think it was, as I said earlier, like Colby kind of performed similar in every fight. Um, maybe if he was to rematch Usman, he would try some wrestling there. But obviously, Usman's a terrific wrestler himself. So maybe that's just wasted energy in that sense. But definitely the element of him being at a new team is just like something you can kind of sell as a difference maker. You know, these guys didn't prepare me the right way. I'm going to do this now that I have the new team and that's going to change the outcome. So I think if you're Colby Covington, who lost the first fight, like there's ways that, you know, he already feels about a million things. I mean, we've heard him talk about Mark goddard and you know the fake nut shot and the fake eye poke and all these things he feels like he was robbed out of beating uzban in their first fight you know he's got a lot of ways to convince himself this fight can go differently it's not like he got blanked for five rounds and it's just like okay well what can we really see that was a really close fight so 
I don't think he needs to make massive adjustments. We'll probably see little ones here and there, but you know, just having a different set of coaches, I assume they'll come in with a different type of game plan and all that. So I think there is dynamics to look at this fight and maybe say, hmm, this is why it would be different. I mean, anytime you have guys that are in there for as long as they've fought and have a rematch, they have a lot of data to kind of take in on each other. And that's, of course, going to change the complexion of a second fight. Mm. I feel like there were so many narratives at UFC Vegas 11. Obviously, you know, Mackenzie Dern was able to come back and look great. You know, Cowboy Serenia had an eye poke battle, which led to a draw. But what I really want to talk about is this coming out party for the Wolf. I mean, uh, Shemayev was, everybody kind of knew who he was going into this card. But his performance over Mishart and that finish and the way that it went down. Um, how does it compare for you to a lot of these guys in the UFC that are becoming massive stars? Guys like Conor McGregor, guys like you know Israel Adesanya, for example. Where does where does that performance, that moment, rank for you in terms of emerging stars in the sport? Man, that was a good one. I mean, that knockout was incredible. He like this guy has so many things going for him. You want to talk about the stats there, right? I think he's had like <laughs> absorbed like six strikes in this entire three UFC fights, which is just ridiculous. He has now the fastest span between three UFC wins. Uh, modern history, I know I've seen a lot of people complaining about, oh, there was tournaments back in the day. They won three fights in one night. I mean, obviously, we know what we're talking about. <laughs> don't have that capability these days although i think Cham- hamzat chamayev might fight three times in one night if you let him i'm sure he'd be super <laughs> happy that. so uh you know maybe it's not impossible but yeah like he's got three wins in 66 days he's right there in front of us he's got like the broken english thing going on that habib kind of had that's like endearing in some sort of way uh just you know repeats over and over i'm gonna smash these guys and all that <laughs> stuff so like he he's got all the little attributes you have Dana White at the press conference saying he's like the most special fighter he's ever seen in his life which is just like ever that was crazy, crazy. Conor yeah, McGregor's was... somewhere like, hey, what about me? We used to be friends. <laughs> Felipe Novera is just disappointed the next day. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there, there was things like that. So like Dana said this kind of stuff over the years, right? But I think this one feels very legit. And he went out there. And you couldn't have drawn that up better. It's That was actually unreal, that knockout. So he's got mm. everything you could possibly have going for him. And now he's going to fight some ranked guys. I mean, if this Damian Maia fight happens, that would be interesting. He said, you know, Damian Maia is considered the best BJJ guy. I'll submit him, and then I'm the best BJJ guy. Like, that's great stuff. So I think he's doing everything right in that sense. Um, you know, the Kevin Holland incident where he apparently told him to clean his room and called him the help is not very... That's crazy. Not a very you know, good sign or that's not a good look for him, I think. I think that was kind of uh, one the one, you know, bad mark on this fight week, I guess, for him. But he, I guess, made it up in some ways. But, you know, that's still a thing that should be addressed. But regardless... He bought a, he bought, he bought a homeless guy McDonald's mic bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And people uh, were like, oh, no. <laughs> Mike Bond's like, I'm not impressed with your performance, Shemayev. Yeah, so I, I was impressed with this performance, but it seems like some, not the hotel you know, outside of the cage, there's some reasons to uh, maybe not think he's the most likable ever. But in terms of his cage, or his cage work, absolutely sensational. So there is a rocket ship strapped to this guy's back, and the UFC could not be more invested in him. And I'm curious to see what they do with him. Dana even said, you know, maybe they do a fight for him before Maya, because mm. I think Maya, if he's going to fight him, is going to want, you know, a full training camp. So maybe we wouldn't see that till November, and maybe we see Hamzat back on Fight Island. Mm. Do you think the KO was great in the sense that it moves him away from Khabib and those comparisons, people saying Khabib 2.0 or Khabib? And yeah, here he is. Never just... done that. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I wanted to ask is, you know, when people are trying to sort of make parallels about, you know, where to put him in terms of rankings and the divisions, and you think like, okay, with his style, with his wrestling, with his, you know, what we witnessed against Gerald Mearshart, 
Uh, how competitive do you think a fight would be between, say, him and Colby Covington? Just because a Colby Covington is at the top of his division, a guy who could fight for the title. When you think about that matchup, you're like, well, I definitely don't see Shemayev getting, you know, smashed. And I'm not saying that's the next fight to make. That would make zero sense whatsoever. But do you think those kind of parallels kind of show, you know, where he might fit into the welterweight division, if that's even the division he wants to stick in? Yeah, it's just so hard to say because, like, right now, all he's been throughout his whole career is a front runner, right? And that's what Gerald Mearshart had said leading into this fight. You know, this guy's never seen adversity. He's not being taken down. He's not had to deal with this situation, that situation, and had to come back with it. And, you know, how many guys have we seen over the years that look sensational? I mean, look at a Johnny Walker that we, you know, also won on this card. He was seeming like the next big thing. He had all the hype in the world there. And then, you know, he got hit clean one time and kind of folded against Corey Anderson there. And then we saw it again in the next fight. So I think it's really hard to judge these guys and where their ceiling is until we see them fight back from a little adversity. Like we don't know how good his chin is. Maybe he gets hit clean once and gets completely laid out stiff. Like we, we just mm. don't have the answers to some of these things. So it's hard to say how good he would be against that very elite level competition, but all the signs are there of, you know, something amazing. And you know, obviously Dana's keeping him with praise. So I think, uh, I'd be interested in seeing that fight. I think they're obviously trending in that direction. He gets a few more performances. I don't think it's going to be too long until we maybe see something like that. But yeah, all, there's a lot of promising signs. I think you just need to see uh, the end, other end of the coin and see how he deals with that. And then we'll really, really have some answers. And I think that hype could go into you know max overdrive. Yeah, I mean, between now and by the time Robert Whitaker and Joe Cannonier fight and uh, Hermanson and Darren Till fight, this guy could have racked up another 10 wins and might be, you know, challenging Israel for the title next, I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, who, who knows? Like, Dana seems like he didn't even know what he wanted to do with him next. So I think, you know, all the options are there. Uh, if you just keep him fighting, it's good. I mean, you could put him in there against anyone, really. I mean, I don't think after this one, the complete, like, no-name or some guy you've never really heard of or is making his UFC debut would really be acceptable. But, man, keep stacking the highlight reel. Keep building the hype. Like, there's this guy's young. There's not really necessarily a, a rush as much as we'd want to see it. So uh, you can keep the activity you know, a fighting frequently gimmick going for a little while longer here. But I think there's definitely going to come a stage where he's going to have to wait like four months for a fight because someone who eventually the UFC convinces to get in there with him. I don't think anyone you know from the top 15 is going to be jumping out of their seat to take that fight, but they're going to have to get someone. And I think that person's probably going to want a full camp. And Mike, before we uh, get off the wolf, just one last question for me. Um, a lot of people are sort of wondering what the future holds for him in terms of which division he'll be in most likely and, and into his future. And I'm just wondering, what do you think happens with him? Is he going to continue fighting middleweight, welterweight, or is it going to be a situation where he ends up uh, sticking to one division? Yeah, that's a tough one. I don't really know. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on him and what the UFC wants to do. I think at some point, like, you have to settle on one. I know he says he wants to be champion in both divisions, but uh, maybe that could happen. But I think at some point, you're going to have to do, like, that build clearly and do it unless they want to do something insane, like, you know, book him for a welterweight title fight and then book him for a middleweight title title fight two months later. Could you imagine hmm. that? He was double booked for two title fights. That would be absolutely insane. But uh, I think the more likely thing would probably be welterweight. Just, 
you know, making an assumption based on knowing MMA fighters and how they operate. They always want that size advantage and, you know, the upper hand in that sense, even though it's ridiculous that he was able to drop a middleweight like that. And Gerald Mearshart was a guy who had a fight canceled not long ago where he was supposed to fight at light heavyweight. So, like, it's he's a bigger guy. And for Chimaev to put him down like that, I think I don't think he's, you know, outsized or anything like that for middleweight. But uh, just making a guess, I think he probably wants to be the bigger guy. He probably wants to accentuate all his strengths and that stuff. And I would assume he feels like that's probably, you know, the best division for him to do that would be welterweight. Mm. Well, a lot of exciting moments from UFC on ESPN uh, 11. A lot of great fights, you know, minus the, the million eye pokes and, and the fouls we <laughs> witnessed. Uh, but there he is, guys. Mike Bond, MMA. Don't forget to follow him on social media. The undisputed king of the stats. Just tuning it out every single week on uh, MMA Junkie. Churning it out, I should say. All the great work, all the great content, man. Really appreciate your time. And uh, thanks so much for breaking down the fights with us today, Mike. Hey, thank you, guys. I miss seeing you in person. It's uh, sad times. None of us get to travel or anything. <laughs> I know. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. Shout out to Gary. We can, sh- we can share a few beers soon. Oh, yeah. Sounds good, man.